0: Hello and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Yul Moldauer. Yul is the most decorated NCAA gymnast in history, and he's hoping to qualify for his first Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer. Welcome, Yul.
1: Thank you. Thanks again for having me.
0: Absolutely. I've been really excited about this interview as I started my own Olympic career as a gymnast for two years, which was to burn off all my energy before I transitioned to figure skating. And so I have a deep love for gymnastics and and appreciation for all the difficulties that go with training, competing in that sport. But I'd love to start at the beginning with you. And you have such a fascinating background. You were born in South Korea, but you were raised on a farm Mm -hmm. in Colorado. And despite being born with some medical issues prematurely, you've become the most decorated gymnast in NCAA history. So that's quite a place to start. Uh, Can you tell me why the adoption agency told your parents that you weren't going to be a normal baby and what they should expect?
1: Um, You know, so they haven't really directly told us fully. Um, I remember when I was probably like six or seven we actually had to have someone that spoke south korean come translate the videos and in the videos they were just talking about how i was a mess baby and that's why i cried for the first three years of my life and um you know they didn't tell my parents those exact words but they just told them yeah your son might not be a normal person and you know it's it's kind of hard to believe that because i feel like i've never really had anything wrong with me the only thing that I really had to struggle with was speaking. I couldn't speak till I was about four or five. Um, my tongue doesn't move, you know, quite the same. So I can eat like really spicy food and it won't bother me. And I actually used to go to speech therapy when I was younger.
0: It's so interesting. And continuing with growing up in rural America, I always touch on topics of identity and finding oneself in this podcast and being adopted, not looking like everyone else, growing up in a rural part of the U.S. How did you find that experience? And ultimately, how did you find gymnastics? Because I'm sure that that happened pretty early on for you.
1: Um, Honestly, you know, it was just the way my family operated. You know, they were so open about my adoption. You know, they told me, you know, as soon as I could really truly understand that I was adopted, you know, they never tried to hide it. Um, and just growing up on a farm with, you know, my brother and my two older sisters, you know, they never made it seem like I was different. You know, we always made it feel like we're all one family. And, you know, I found gymnastics uh, kind of weirdly. Um, I was actually with a friend one day, and I was about seven years old. And he was going to a gymnastics class in Fort Collins, and My mom couldn't pick me up right then. So she was like, oh, well, why don't you just go to the gym and wait there and I can, you know, pick you up when I can. And, you know, the coach came up and was like, hey, we have, you know, a free trial. Why don't you try our our class? And I remember the first day, I just had so much fun. I remember when my mom got there, I ran up to her and I was like, mom, like, I want to do this sport. This is so much fun. Because, you know, as a kid, you just want to, you know, flip around, run, you know, swing. And for me, that was just like, something that I loved doing. And it was just, I felt like that I could, you know, just have so much fun in the gym, whether I was going to become, you know, competitive or not. You know, I felt like the gym was a place that I just wanted to, you know, like you said, lose your energy.
0: I went through three different elementary schools. I was bouncing off the walls, always climbing trees. And so when my parents put me in gymnastics for three hours a day, I came home as a A docile child and used up my energy. And so it was a perfect fit and ultimately a great segue into figure skating and gave me that strength and coordination that that really helped me early on in my career. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to ask you a little bit, I guess, it's a big time in your life right now. Trials are coming up next week, I believe.
1: Yeah.
0: And I've listened to a few of your interviews and podcasts, and I I love the perspective that you bring to the sport and the maturity. And I heard you say that assuming you make the team, you don't just want to go to the Olympics. You want to go and bring something back. And, you know, I assume that that probably involves something shiny and heavy. Can you describe a little bit in more detail how you're gearing up for these games and what your perspective is?
1: Yeah, um, you know, The way I see it, um, gymnastics is, you know, to be honest, almost a dying sport in the U.S., especially for men's. And for me, you know, I have these big goals of bringing hardware back, not because of something that I want to do, but it's something that I feel like we should do for the sport. It's not talking about individual goals. It's now talking about the bigger picture and, you know, saving the sport. You know, this past year, you know, numerous schools cut their programs. And it was sad to see as a gymnast because when you're a gymnast, you understand what it takes. You know, there's no off-season, two practices every day. You're sore, you're tired, you go through all these things, but it teaches you so many life lessons. And people, I feel like they, they overlook what gymnastics can do for an individual. And for me, I feel like it's important to bring hard work back because I think it can bring back the attention of how cool gymnastics is and and how really fundamental and how it can change, you know, a young teenager into almost a man. And it creates all these perspectives that you learn once you go through the sport. And for me to watch the sport almost die, it, it it breaks my heart because I know what it takes to be a gymnast and I know what it can do for every other sport. You know, I... I wish that high school still required, you know, students to do gymnastics, not just to compete in it, but just to have, you know, mobility, learn how to, you know, fall correctly, learn how to jump and, you know, not tweak your neck. And so there are all these small things that gymnastics can teach you beyond just that sport. It can help you excel in so many other sports. And I think that's so important to understand. And, you know, I, I, I push myself hard because I, I, I want to be able to say that I helped bring this sport back. And that is my long-term goal. That is why I don't want to just go to, you know, one Olympics. I want to go to, you know, a couple or a few. And I want to, you know, represent this country and, and bring back the sport.
0: That's wonderful to have that broader perspective. And I think in large part that comes from the fact that you've competed not only on the NCAA stage, but also the Team USA, World Cup stage. And I know that in 2016, you finished fifth at the U.S. Olympic trials. And Team USA takes five competitors, two alternates, but you weren't named to the team. And I know that the Olympics come around every four years. And so to come so close and not be named, and, you know, it's a little bit of a gray area, but you were new to the scene. I would love... For you to take me back to your mindset at that time, what that experience was like, because ultimately you've had for now five years since that time to develop and mature as an athlete physically and mentally. And I'm sure that's really shaped your goals and views of hopeful longevity in the sport. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in 2016, it was a phenomenal year as you know, a young adult. I got to train with Steve Lejre. And Jake Dalton, who were, you know, in those top group of guys to be, be named onto the Olympic team. And for me, I never looked at it as like, oh, like they should have picked me. I got fifth. Um, they could have picked me as alternate. I know, you know, my parents were upset. Um, but at the long run, you know, I couldn't take that negative energy and move forward with it. You know, if if I wanted to be a better athlete, I just have to say, look, I went to the Olympic trials. I got that experience under my belt. Let's get ready for the next four years. And for me, you know, I'm all about good energy. I never try and take any moment to take in negative energy. So for me, I just look at it as like, Hey, like I was young. I got to go compete along the side of team USA. You know, I was probably the youngest competitor there, but now, you know, looking in four years, I can say that I've been here. I can say that I know what the nerves are going to feel like I can, know what the competition is going to run like so for me it was just I was just so happy to be out there and it was just so amazing because at the time you know again I really wasn't known that well but then the next year you know that was the biggest year for me and I think the reason why I had such a good year is because I got to compete with those guys and I got to dream and I actually got to like live in the moment with those guys who made the team so it honestly gave me a huge energy booster to definitely make the team, you know, the next squad. And every time I walked into the gym, whether it was for an NCAA meet or a world championship meet or just a practice, you know, I made sure that every minute counted. And, you know, Mark Williams at the time, he told me all the time, embrace the grind. And since then, I've lived by those words. And it's just helped me get closer and closer to my dream.
0: That reminds me, there are a number of words or phrases that you, you live by or quotes that inform your life philosophy and how you train. And, and one of those, which I wanted to ask you about was what would a Marine do? And I was curious where that saying comes from and when that came into your life.
1: So it was during college and I had this, I have this best friend, Jake Maloli who's in the Marine Corps. And you know, at OU, you wake up at 5 30, you go do weights till about 7 a.m. You go do school from eight to twelve, then you go back to gym from one to you know five thirty, and then you go home, eat, do break I mean dinner, and then you do it all over again. And we thought that was hard. But Jake Maloney, you know, he's in the Marine Corps, he was, you know, part of the Marine um, Academy at school and to see what he had to do, you know, he had to do that schedule on top of 3 a.m., you know, 10-mile, you know, runs. And, you know, he would get maybe 30 minutes of sleep a night all week. And Alan and I were just in practice one day, and we were just like, man, we are tired. We are struggling. And Jake just kind of looked at us and was like, you guys have no idea. And Alan just goes, you're right. What would a Marine do? And I was like, you're right. What would a Marine do? And Alan goes, they wouldn't stop. And I was like, that's exactly what we're not going to do. We're not going to stop. So Alan Bauer, Jake Maloney, and I just kind of came up with that quote that we lived with throughout that whole year saying, what would a Marine do? And it's, you know, they wouldn't stop. They would get the job done.
0: And that brings me to another phrase that is attributed to you. And it's this concept of the need to know why you're pushing yourself, right? Because to endure something as taxing and strenuous as the type of training a Marine goes through or an Olympic hopeful, especially in the field of gymnastics, like you mentioned earlier, you are in pain, you're tired, you're training for four years when no one's really paying that much attention to the sport outside Mm -hmm. of Olympic cycles. And again, slight segue, but props to you on seeing the bigger vision and trying to bring that back into um, the limelight again because gymnastics is such an incredible sport. And figure skating has also undergone somewhat of a decline in popularity and viewership. But there's always that pinnacle around the Olympics where people tune in to figure skating and Olympics and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: those sports relive their heyday. And I think that's wonderful. We still have that. But going back to the why you need to know why you're pushing yourself Um, because again, you're getting up so early, you're making so many sacrifices and you're training for something that is perhaps four years away. So I'm curious what your why is and and when you found it.
1: You know, at a younger age, um, my why was to become an Olympian. And when I got older, you know, I became an Olympic champion. And then this past year, my why has been to really save the sport. And for me, I I really emphasize the why because I think it helps you. No matter what day it is, no matter if you have a bad day, a good day, a bad competition or a great competition, when you truly understand your why and you wake up at you know six in the morning, you're super tired, but then you just remember your why, you're like, I have to do this. This is what it takes. And when you take a step back of your why and why you're going through it, you have to understand that you're in a position that not a lot of people get to be in. And because of you pushing towards your why, that's why you're in the position. So what I do is, you know, I write my goals every single year and I hang them up right next to my bed and I look at it and I remember, okay, this is why I'm getting up early. This is why I'm sore and I'm still going to the gym. This is why I have to make the sacrifices I'm making. This is why I try and eat healthy. This is why I need to go to bed earlier. Because, you know, when you get older and older, you really start to understand why there are all these factors around you that you have to be doing to become successful. And that's getting enough sleep, eating right, make sure you're, you know, happy with yourself, you know, mentally stable, understanding that you're on this journey that not a lot of people can do, but. If you want it that bad, you know, you'll get your why.
0: And that reminds me of many athletes, right? This intensity, this drive, this incredible focus that I don't find in other types of people that I meet. And am I would love to get your perspective on this mm-hmm. because you've also mentioned the importance of doing what needs to be done, especially when you don't want to do it. And I find I have conversations like this with non-athletes. And if they don't feel like doing something, they're like, I just don't feel like doing it. You know, that's that's the hard choice. That's not mm-hmm. what I feel like. I'm like, this is what you need to do. And you'll feel better after. It's the long-term versus short-term gratification, which I think really feeds into the athlete mentality. Whereas if you you skip a mm-hmm. practice, you might feel better in the moment. But in a few hours, you have not only the guilt, et cetera, knowing that you didn't push yourself, that you were weak in some capacity. And Mm. I always find this is a very fine line because this is often what gets very intense athletes injured because we don't listen to our bodies, perhaps when something is hurting and we think there's weakness that needs to be overcome. And I'd love to know how this philosophy shows up in your life.
1: Oh, it's every single day almost. Um, You know, we all have, whether it's a skill or a routine, or like you said, just some days that we just don't feel like doing anything. And what pushes me to get through that is my mindset. I'm like, wow, like I really don't want to do this skill. I'm really tired. I'm really sore. But I get myself to do it because at the end of the day, I can tell myself if I'm sore, I'm tired, and I'm not really in the mindset today. What is it going to feel like when I'm ready, when I feel good, when I'm ready to, you know, compete, it's going to feel easy. And that's my philosophy is when you do it, when you don't want to do it the most, when it comes time to do it, it'll feel like, you know, rubbing something off your shoulder, it'll, it'll feel easy. And, you know, it's it's good to push yourself in situations where you don't feel comfortable or you're sore and tired, because at the end of the day, when you get to a competition who knows what you're going to feel like you know we have you know at, at world championships you have like maybe six days of competing with one day off in between or two days off and you never know what your body truly is going to feel like on that fifth day or on that sixth day so for me it's always like if I get a rip on my hands I always try and do a routine no matter what and because I I, I try and prepare for situations that could come you know, you know if I'm at the World Championship games or Olympic games and I have a rip or a stubbed finger, I have to know that I've done it at least once before to really feel confident. And I like doing that because it just creates this really good mindset for yourself of I can do a routine or a skill any moment. It's just all about telling myself that I can, whether if I'm feeling good or feeling bad. And the more you practice that, I think the easier and easier you know your sport gets. I mean, I'm sure you felt it, you know, let's say learning a double axle, right? Uh, You know, I bet there were some days where your ankles were sore, but you did it. And then at the end of the day, you felt so great about yourself. And at that moment, you knew you could do it whenever.
0: It reminds me when I learned a double axle, I took me nearly two years and I was black and blue on both sides from my hips halfway down my thighs. And we ended up buying a a wetsuit and Ooh. cutting out pieces of a wetsuit and doubling and tripling it to make custom pads to <laughs> wear in my leggings. Because I I don't think I've fallen more on any any jump that I learned than the double axle. But when I finally got it, it was, it was so rewarding. And that jump was actually a bit of a turning point for me because I think a year into trying to learn that that jump, I I almost quit and asked myself, is this worth it? Like the misery, the tears, All my friends are at the beach and I'm pounding myself into the ice every day. Am I ever going to get this? Because that is a defining jump in figure skating. If you don't get it, you usually end up quitting soon. And if you do get it, you're more likely to to learn your other triple jumps. So what what you're speaking to certainly makes makes a ton of sense. And I, I wanted to ask you if you feel like this is where confidence comes from. If it comes from doing something when you're in pain or tired or don't want to do it. And I always felt like when I trained nine out of 10 days, I was in pain and didn't feel great. And one day (laughs) you feel amazing and, you know, you wish that every day is like that. Mm -hmm. But if where you derive your sense of confidence from, is it needing to do a routine three times in a row perfectly? Is it the showing up every day? Is it the way that you understand and make sense of of your training, whether it's good or bad?
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, there are so many things that come with confidence. Um, For me, you know, a general week, um, starting on Monday, like for me, I know Monday's going to be a little more rough than any day of the week, just because you're getting back into the flow of things. And then Tuesday, you know, because you did so much on Monday, you're sore. And you got to push through it and keep doing it. And then on Wednesday, you know, you have basics and a light day. And then on Thursday, you know, you do like a competition style practice. And then on Friday, you just get this energy, because you know, it's Friday, you know, it's the last hard day of the week. But it's not like you're feeling great. It's not like you feel any different than, um, you know, if you took time off, you're pretty tired at the end of the week on a Friday, but you get through these skills and you kind of think back on the week, you're like, this is crazy that I've had such a hard week and I can do these skills now when I'm super tired, I'm sore. And then when you get to the meet, you feel so fresh because you got to sleep in, you didn't have to do the extra turns. And you get to the meet and you look back on the week and you're like, this is going to be fun. This isn't going to be hard. Nothing hurts thankfully, nothing's sore. You know, I got my good rest. I'm ready to go. And I think it's important that you have these hard ways. And yes, there's a fine line to pushing yourself between getting hurt. But there's also a fine line of, you know, maybe I'll just do jumps that will practice the basic of the harder skill. Or maybe I'll use extra padding today. Or, you know, maybe I'll do a little more conditioning in this sense just to get my muscles moving. And you do all these little things because you know you're building your mindset, you're creating that confidence that you've been going through the entire week. You know, my coaches now they told me you have to be so confident in yourself. That if I came and woke you up in your house at three in the morning and shook you and said you have five minutes to share a routine that you could hit and you would have that confidence. And I think when you get to that point of knowing you can hit a set, you know, I don't need to warm up, I can do this. You know, it's just like, think about your whole entire career. I'm sure, you know, a basic leap jump now seemed really hard when you're younger. But as time went on, you just kept doing it and kept doing it. And you kind of don't even realize that you're doing it when you don't even want to, because it's so basic. And if you keep doing that with the harder skills, then they just become basics as well. And so it's almost like this constant routine of growing and growing. And you're just like, wow, I remember when I was 10 and I thought this was hard, but I can do this my first turn every time now. And I think once you build that confidence and, you know, like you said, like there are days where you're bruised up and you don't want to do it, but you figure it out, that satisfaction of when you finally do it, when you know it took so long. That is probably one of the greatest feelings and that's probably why athletes stay in their sport and it's because they had such a long or hard journey getting to that point when you finally do it. It's just like, like this is why I work so hard.
0: That's beautifully said and very well put. There well, thank you. is a lot of difficulty in climbing to the top of that mountain, but once you learn not about yourself, you learn what training entails and how to overcome these insecurities and weaknesses or just that that inner dialogue to become that better athlete is as much a mental journey as it is a physical journey mm-hmm. and i think that's why it's so interesting to speak with athletes that have come to know their bodies and competed over time because there is that af- evolution and i think it's really fascinating to hear how how one discovers it and how it's shaped their their career and their training and I know that you're very thoughtful about your goals, which you mentioned that you you write every year and you type up on your mirror where you can see them every day. Mm-hmm. I would love to know if your goals change a lot every year, perhaps how many you write or what, what the top three might be. Because I think, of course, people are very familiar with the concept of goals. And I think for the average American, it's probably their New Year's resolution, their list of five things that they want to do. And second week of January, they've forgotten. And I think athletes are very, very good at creating specific goals, measurable goals, actionable goals, and, and following through. And so I think in a in a broader sense, it would be helpful for listeners to understand how such an elite athlete as yourself uh, creates these goals, and then how you hold yourself accountable.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the the reason why I write goals, it's not just based on my sport. You know, my goals change every year. So like when I was in college, my senior year, one of my goals was to graduate. You know, that has nothing sports related, but that's something that I thought was important to have on there, knowing that, you know, still put in the work, you're going to graduate this year, but write it down. It's attainable. And then one of my goals, it was really dumb. It was make my bet every day. You know, they're silly goals, but, and then another one was to, you know, win the American cup. Um, another one was to make senior national team. Another one was to make the Olympic team because this was back in 2020. And then, you know, as the list went down, they got harder and harder. So, you know, make the Olympic team, you know, win a team Olympic medal. That was my next one. And then, the last one was win an individual Olympic medal. And then my last one, it's just kind of my peace of mind was say thank you to everyone that's helped me on this journey. And I like to mix up my goals a lot <clears throat> because then it's not just all focused on my sport, it's focused on things outside of my life. And, you know, I always write to be a good person on every single shoot of my goals because I think that is so important at the end of the day. But you know, I I look at these goals and I think about What could I accomplish actually in this year? Could I actually accomplish graduating this year? Yes. So I'm going to write that down. Could I accomplish, you know, making the senior national team? Yes, I wrote that down. Could I make my bed every day? Yes, I could do that. So for me, these are goals that I try and think about the whole year that I could actually obtain that year. And you know what? There are goals that you're not going to make. Like I didn't even get picked for American Cup. So you know what I do? I just scratch it out. I move on to the next one. And I think when you look at your goals every day and you think about them, you're like, why, am I, why do I want to make my bed every day? And it's like, because for me, if I do it every single day of the year, it doesn't feel like a routine. It'll just become a habit. So that's just something that I thought was kind of cool. Make something a habit this year. And then my next goal, you know, making the olympic team that's something that i have wanted to do my entire life so that goal is just way beyond that other goal and so even if i don't accomplish i feel like i'm still climbing this ladder that makes me a better person whether i get to olympic team or not but i'll still end up here at the end of the year and then if i fail on this goal i'll still be climbing the ladder and i'll be up here so for me it's this it's a game that i play with myself because it keeps me energized and it, it It takes me back to when I was a kid and it takes me back to when I was in college and it takes me back to all the days that were super hard. It takes me back to all the dances I couldn't go to or, you know, all the times I couldn't hang out with my friends. I'm being taken back to something that I want to do personally. And when you look at it every day, you're like, okay, this is my why. This is why I didn't get to do that. This is why I'm not doing it. But like, it just keeps me balanced and a good mindset knowing that I'm trying to do something that I want to do because I wrote it down. As soon as you speak it, or as soon as you write it down, you owe it to yourself because that's your own thoughts. And when you speak upon something or write something down, it means something to you, whether it's in your brain all the time or not, you literally spoke it and wrote it out. So why not try and do something that you said or wrote down?
0: I like that. I also pick up Something that, in someone that's going into such a big moment in your life, going into potentially your first Olympic Games, you have an incredibly broad perspective and sense of balance to be a good person, to do something for your sport, not just yourself, to make your bed, these little building blocks, these habits that uh, will make you a better athlete, a better person, and make you accountable and know that you will accomplish the goals that you set out. And I would love to know if that came from your family, from college, from a certain experience, because I think that is somewhat rare in a young elite athlete to be able to see something beyond the podium. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's, it's honestly, I can't pick out any single group. Um, You know, of course, beginning with my family, because I grew up with them and Like, I remember this one time I was showing off at Open Gym, and just as a joke, there were these older guys that I was messing around with, and we're all friends, and he did a skill, I did a skill, and he was like, oh yeah, can you do this? And I was like, oh yeah, can you do this? Oh yeah, can you do this? And it was just a game, and my dad knew it was just a game, but he pulled me aside, and he was like, hey, I know you were just messing around and having fun with your friends, but You never need to say, can you do this or watch this? You just can go up there and show them. And he was like, you always show, you don't tell, you never tell. And that stuck with me since I was you know, seven when this happened. And for me, that perspective of, you know what? I don't want to tell people I'm a good person. I don't want to tell people I'm good at gymnastics. I don't want to tell people I'm working hard. I want them to be able to see it when they see me. And when you think about that and the perspective that you show to others, that's when you start to really understand who you're who you are as a person, who you want to be viewed at be viewed as. And for me, I don't look at myself above anyone else because I'm on this Olympic journey or because I'm on the senior national team. Because at the end of the day, wipe that all out. You know, I'm still just a human being. I'm just you know, taking a different path than, you know, other people. But for me to be a good person, I feel like because I am good at gymnastics and because I am on senior team, these kids can look at me. And if I'm, you know, cocky or mean or try and portray myself better than everyone else, then these kids are going to think that it's okay to do that. And at the end of the day, you know, you wouldn't be anywhere without these good people around you you know you have good coaches you have good teachers you have good athletic trainers you know hopefully you have good friends so there are all these good people around you why why take that good and turn it into negative energy I don't know it's it's kind of really feels like mental but I always just try and act like what would I do if I was that person coming up to me you know all these kids at the gym you know they're six or seven, and you can just tell that they're excited to be in the gym. And, you know, they get a little nervous when they talk to me, but I try and just show that I'm just a regular person too. It doesn't matter, you know, the status I have or the achievements I have, you know, I'm just, once I was just a little kid like you in the gym.
0: I think that's so important and wonderful that with your platform now and being a face of men's gymnastics, that you can be that approachable role model for kids that are just starting out because you're everything to them. And it's, it's a special spot to have. It, it it really is. I want to ask you now a few questions about your time at Oklahoma university, and you've had such an incredible collegiate career. And, you know, it just reminded me that not most sports don't have a most Olympic sports don't also have a college component and I'd love to know the importance of the NCAA in your development, both mental and physical, preparing you for this larger world stage. And then perhaps you could compare the two and, and maybe the roles that they've played in your life and how they've shaped you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, NCAA gymnastics is like, I, I strongly say this, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today without the NCAA. You know, what the NCAA does for you is it creates this huge team atmosphere and it makes you compete every single weekend. And when you get to practice competing constantly in high pressure situations, you really start to understand what you yourself as an athlete needs to do to prepare mentally and physically. And You know, the NCAA is so important for gymnastics, especially because, you know, if the NCAA wasn't there and you were just a professional elite gymnast, you would only have two to three competitions, maybe four or five competitions a year as a gymnast. And, you know, that's honestly not a lot of competitions. You know, your first one, you're always nervous. You know, your second one, you know, you're still kind of figuring out your routine, structure and the third one, you know, that's when you're like, okay, I can start hitting now. You know, now I'm confident enough. And then by like the second or fifth one, you know, it's really important. So it's even more structural. And what the NCAA does is it creates so many opportunities for you to understand who you are, who you are as a competitor. And you know, it makes this team drive that is just so amazing because I don't think I'd be anywhere close of a is without my teammates, you know, they pushed me in the gym every single day, you know, they kept me accountable. They made sure I did my conditioning. And for me, you know, it's hard for me to put on muscle. And I actually got, you know, maybe a couple extra pounds in college because we got to lift weights and stuff. But you look back at the NCAA and you're with this group of guys and you're looking at them and you're like, wow, like he's doing it. The guy to my right is doing it. The guy behind me is doing it. The guy in front of me is doing it. If everyone's doing it, I can do it. And it brings this confidence to yourself of, of an athlete. And you really start to figure out you know, how to push through things, how to build your routines, how to go up there and know that this is not for yourself, but this is for your university. You are representing your university against all these other schools. And it's really special. It's almost like little countries competing against each other. So when you take that environment and you go out to the world stage, you can just tell yourself, I've been here before. You know, this is Team USA. It's the same as, you know, it might be a little more different, but it's technically the same as competing for a university. And you really start to understand your flow and your rhythm and how to practice competing. And it's just, I encourage everyone to try and go to college for a sport. And because it will just take you through so many experiences and so many journeys that you never even imagined. So, the ups and the downs, and all the practices, all the weight work, all the, you know, struggles in the gym. It really just builds this beautiful puzzle at the end of the year when you're at your last competition as a senior. You honestly look around and you're like, wow, that was the quickest but most amazing four years of my life and it's insane what it does for you as a person you know it like for me it, i think it really made me become a young adult it made me put my priorities straight it made me understand you know my scheduling it made me understand what it means to work outside as the community it, it made me understand you know what the real world is kind of going to be like because when you go to college you know You're put into a new group of people that you've probably never met. Maybe you've seen them at some competition, said hi, maybe seen them at camps, but you really start to become an adult with this group and with your coaches and with your trainers. And, you know, they teach you all these little life small lessons that you just kind of keep with you as you, you know, graduate and, you know, tell these little kids. So it was amazing. You know, Oklahoma, I, can't even picture myself going to any other school, you know. Mark Williams, he really understood, you know, what I wanted to do as an athlete, and he never made it seem like I was above anyone else or I was better than anyone else. He kept us all on the same level, which I liked. I never wanted to be viewed as someone better. I never wanted to be viewed as I'm greater than you. You know, we're on this team together. Our our chain link is as strong as our weakest person and I thought he ran the program perfectly. It was it was amazing, honestly. I I wish I could go back and live college again it's so bad because those competitions and that team environment, it is just something amazing. And you'll just sit back and think about it and just smile because it, you know at times it sucked, but it was just so great.
0: I feel the same way for different reasons about my college experience. And it was certainly eye-opening in terms of, you know, the people that you meet, the classes you're exposed to, and just learning about yourself. I think in a larger way than than just your sport, if you're spending hours and hours a day by yourself doing something versus having, like you're saying, a team or a community and, and mm-hmm. having this place that fosters growth. And I think college is a wonderful, wonderful platform to do that. On to another topic that's a little bit more fraught, racism, Mm -hmm. Asian hate that our country has been dealing with and is, is very unfortunate and very ugly. And I know that that's something that you've had to personally deal with. And, you know, in an interesting way, you are dealing with it with Americans and then you put on a Team USA jersey and you represent America. Mm -hmm. And that must create kind of a storm of mixed feelings. And perhaps you can describe in detail the incident in March that you shared on Instagram uh, that you experienced and then how you feel having to represent all of America and people that, that don't welcome you.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the incident in March, I was driving on laws actually, and, you know, I was in the very right hand lane and this lady was coming on and she cut me off and, you know, I didn't lay on my horn or anything. So I was like, you know what, I'll just go in the middle lane and just kind of just get past her. But we both came to a red light. And she just rolled down her window and yelled, go back to China. And I was like, please, lady, like, calm down. But as she was driving away, I was just so shocked because, you know, for me, I didn't take it personally. It just kind of sucked to hear. But for me, I was just so shocked because especially this past year, it's been all about and racism, you know, welcome everyone. And for her to just say that, especially after everything that's been going on, I was just thinking to myself, do people really not care that much? Do they really just think that they just run the world because they're white and they they live in the U.S.? And for me, I just thought to myself, I was like, lady, if you knew what I did for a living, like I put USA on my chest and I go out there and represent our country, I feel like you would have a whole different perspective of what I look like. Um, for me, it, it, I was just so confused and I just didn't understand. I was just like, why is this a thing? Why why is it okay? And I just kind of tried to wipe it over my shoulder. But I actually talked to Morgan Heard about it. She was just explaining, you know, we need to stand up. We need to speak out. So I made the Instagram post. And I wasn't trying to get any attention to myself about this happened to me. My intention was to say, hey, this stuff is still going on. It can happen to anyone. You know, people always see me as this happy cheerful guy so i thought it was really important for me to share that because i don't think i've ever posted anything negative on my social media i don't think i've ever done that and i want just wanted to share this with people because i wanted them to understand that discrimination is still a huge problem i feel like just because of what you look like and you know growing up as a kid you know, I remember this one time when I was like 11, and I was running towards a Best Buy on Black Friday, and these kids must have been 14 or 15, not even much older than me, and they just talked to me in like an Asian voice saying, "Oh, you need computer now, like run, run, run." And for me, I was so young, I was like, "What? What? Are you? I don't get it." But now that I'm older, I was like, "Wow!" Like I went through incidents when I was a ch- child and I didn't even know, and it just kind of sucks that people think that it's. Okay, and it's funny and it's acceptable. And for me, that's why I'm always so emphasized on being a good person because at the end of the day, you don't know the intentions of their heart. You know, you don't know what I do. You know, that lady had no idea what I did for a job. But for me, when I put, you know, I say on my chest, you know, I never think about bad people. I think about everyone that's helped me get to where I am and all the good people that are still here and all the you know, positive things that have happened to me. You know, I think about this every time I put it on, and I'm like, wow, I'm adopted. And I get to say I'm putting on, you know, USA on my chest. Like, that feels pretty special. So, you know, I never, ever think about the bad things. You know, I know it's there, and I know, yeah, I'm representing those bad people, but there are so many positive people that have helped me get to where I'm at. My coaches, my family, my friends. All the tutors for you know school, a lot of the fans, you know everyone, you know those are the people I think about.
0: That's very magnanimous of you, well, and I think just important to shed light on what you go through and and the reality, the unfortunate realities. Right? I think awareness is where it starts, and and hopefully things will change sooner than later, mm-hmm. but. That certainly is a magnanimous response. I don't think everyone would be as, as big as you, but that certainly just speaks to, you know, kind of everything we've talked about in this conversation thus far. Before we close, I just have a few last questions. And one is to touch upon the pandemic. And I know it's been tough on, on almost everyone in some capacity, whether you are a mom working at home with your kids, uh, an Olympic athlete whose training facilities have shut down, loneliness, uh, being isolated. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience because I know that your gym shut down. You had to move to a different state, I believe, to train with a different coach. And on top of that, it took away all these competitions where you could practice under pressure. And so I heard that you have been making yourself feel nervous at the gym Because you haven't had this chance to compete internationally in a long time. And I guess I'm curious how do you make yourself nervous on a day to day basis when you know that it isn't the Olympic trials?
1: Well, in the gym, I always try and think about big meets like NCAA's, American Cup, World Championships. And I close my eyes and I envision myself, you know, whatever event I'm on. And I try and really picture people screaming, roaring. I try and picture the exact suits that the judges are going to wear, and how the setup might be, and what the colors of the mats might be. And I just try and act like I'm at the competition. And you know, I always tell myself, "You have to do it right now. Like this is it. This is it. If you don't make this, I always choose one event every every practice that I have to hit. Else, and I technically tell myself that I failed that workout for the day. And so, for example, on horse, I tell myself, right, I envision the place and then I tell myself I have to hit this right now or, you know, I'm going to be pretty bummed after this practice, whether I had a good practice on any other events, I'm going to be like, man, I didn't hit when I needed to. And yeah, it might not be the same nerves, but I really try and get my heartbeat going. Like I really try and think about something scary or like if i don't hit this right now i'm not going to hit it at trials or i'm not going to hit this like you can say goodbye to the olympic dream and when you actually like tell yourself that and think about it you actually get really nervous instead of just saying yeah okay i better hit this i have reasons behind why i need to hit this but you know going back to the pandemic um when everything shut down in march um i was still at the university of oklahoma And I was graduated, so I was a post grad. And Mark was like, okay, um, the gym's probably gonna be shut down for a couple months or something until this goes by. You know, at the time we thought this was gonna be quick and easy, you know. And as time went on, you know, it was three months rolled by, four months rolled by. And then, you know, by the fifth month, you know, we were going to this gym that finally opened up uh, in Yukon. So it was an hour drive there, an hour drive back. And Mark wasn't allowed to go because there was potential NCAA guys that could be recruited. And with the NCAA regulations, you're not allowed to go in there. And so we were just training for two, two hours, because that's the time slot we were given. Uh, and we were by ourselves. It was me, Genki, Alan, and Colin. And I was like, man, this, this is not, this is not what I need to be doing. So I actually called my club gym back up back in denver colorado and they're like yeah come back you know we all have to wear masks you have to go in at this time with the team guys because this is the slot you're given. and you know i decided because we weren't allowed to go back into the gym because of the ncaa regulations that i would just move back to my hometown in colorado and you know it was it was hard leaving those guys because you know like like I tell myself Oklahoma has done so much for me and to say goodbye to those guys that have helped me create this gymnastics degree it was mentally tough um I also broke up with my girlfriend and that was mentally tough and you know I just try to stay focused on the sport and and focus on what I can control you know there was so many bad news of so <clears throat> the Olympics might be canceled um You're not going to be able to go into any competitions, you know, so there are all these negative things that were just going in and out, you know, in and out of my ears. But I told myself, look, don't focus on the bad things. You know, you have to be thankful that you're still working out. You have to be thankful that you're getting to go into a gym um, and you have to be thankful that, you know, you're healthy. And for me, I just kept going into the gym and just controlling, you know, what I could do, what. Which was my gymnastics, and I never tried to let any of these, you know, negative things control me. I was just like, you know what, I'm getting to train. That's all I need to do. Just train, like it's going to happen, no matter what.
0: That's amazing. It, it it's hard enough to train for an Olympic games, and then with the uncertainty of whether a games is going to happen, and then ha- losing your facility and your known environment. I can't even imagine. But we're, I think the light's at the end of the tunnel and I'm excited for you for next week and, and for Tokyo 2020, in 2021, which I think mm-hmm. is the yeah. <laughs> official lingo. Yeah. And I want to close with one last question, which is, what is your Olympic moment in life? And it is something kind of on that magnitude of what you might feel at an Olympic Games, whether it's making it, being on the podium or that experience, but something else that's big and has been somewhat transformative in your life, perhaps outside of sports.
1: Well, I I haven't really had an Olympic moment yet, just because I haven't gone. But there are two different instances. You know, one I'll think about my junior year at NCAA's, and that year was just so incredible because you know at the beginning of the year you always have a scrimmage. And there are 18 guys on the team. And when we had that scrimmage, there were only six healthy guys. Everyone else had surgery. And we were just like, man, like, are we going to be able to even compete as a team this year? And, you know, as the year went on, people got healthy and jumped in. And when we got to NCLA finals, you know, it was going to be for our fourth consecutive title in a row. And no one wanted us to win. And everyone doubted us because we had so many surgeries and all these other schools talked a lot of big game and all these articles were saying that it was impossible. And when we went to P-Bars, I remember my teammate and one of my roommates, his name was Peter Daggett. He didn't compete all year and because he tore his knee twice that same year. And he landed his P-Bar dismount and stuck. And I remember I was just jumping up and down like tears because I got to see all of this stuff that he did in the gym, all the struggles, all the pain, you know, tearing his knee twice and then finally making the lineup. That was just so special. And it just like made me realize that if you think something is impossible, if you just grind it out and work super hard and you just keep your mind focused on your goal, Anything can happen because I remember Peter telling us that year that he might just quit the sport, you know, because his name may not ever be the same. And to see him get that satisfaction, it was just like, it was just so amazing. And for me, that stuck with me no matter how hard the year is going to get, keep on going. And that kind of played into this past year, you know, with COVID. And it was a hard year. And I just remembered what Peter went through. And I was like, you know, he, he had it tough. I'm having it kind of tough right now, but if he did it, I can do it. And then I think another one was, you know, floor finals in 2017 at World Championships. You know, I remember looking up at the crowd and there was, you know, 60,000 people or something. And I was just like, holy cow. Like, I have dreamed about this. Like, this is like where I want to be. And for me, I never was like, I need to win a world medal like I have a chance to because I qualified second. And I didn't even think about that. I was just like, man, I'm really getting to live in a moment that I've dreamed about because I want to go into these big atmospheric stadiums with the crowd cheering and everyone's watching you. And to finally live that, that was just like, I want to feel this at the Olympic Games. Like this is worlds, but I want to feel this at the Olympic Games. And ever since that, I've just wanting more and more people to come in and watch and and just see what kind of show, you know, these gymnasts can put on.
0: Those are both incredible moments. And I love, I think, particularly the first, just that vicarious joy of someone else's overcoming. And also just the reminder that sometimes if we just hang on a little bit longer than we think we can, uh, what's at the other side where the light of the tunnel is? Yeah. And thank you so much for joining. We'll be rooting for you in trials and hope that you make it to Tokyo and that it's everything that you've prepared for and and trained for.
1: Thank you, Sasha. I really enjoyed this.
0: Please subscribe to Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday.
1: Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City.